late night uh, popular television shows I remember growing up as a kid was uh, the Jay Leno show. I'm not a super big fan, but I certainly remember it. And one of the quirky uh, sketches they had uh, that would come on that show was uh, jaywalking. And they would walk down Hollywood Boulevard and they would um, berate or uh, investigate an unsuspecting college student or young person and ask them uh, significant moments in United States history or basic elementary school knowledge. And most of the unsuspecting um, youth were not able to answer in a very rational way. And they were often made fun of on that television, so we kind of snickered or whatnot. But I think today's feast is kind of like that for us. If you know, uh, somebody interviewed us on the 16th Street Mall, wherever we shop or wherever we're at, and said, tell me about the Immaculate Conception. What does that mean for you Catholics? Why do you do, why do, you do that? Most of us would feel intimidated, or most of us wouldn't know how to give a rational response. And so I thought it was important coming from uh, you know, a preaching perspective, but also just a practical wisdom perspective to give us some concrete ways of talking about this great feast. It's one of the most important salvific moments in the life of Christ, this feast. And so that's what I'm going to try to do tonight is give us some of the wisdom of the saints to give us some theological reasons, but also some practical wisdom to apply to our own personal spiritual lives because I think Mary encourages us. She is a model for us of what holiness means. So going back to that question, what would we say if we were interviewed? I think intuitively we all understand the holiness of Mary, that she's without sin. I think we can look at her life and sense, yes, she was certainly close to Christ, and we can feel that very, very much. But that um, moment in our salvation history is a dogma. It's defined through the living tradition, through sacred scripture. Somebody asked me before, um, before Mass started, where was Mary prophesied in the Old Testament? Does the Old Testament talk about uh, Mary's life? And she's riddled all through the Old Testament, starting from the book of Genesis, which we heard throughout all the prophets. And even the Pharisees knew that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. There was some great debate over where Jesus was from, right? Because he wasn't from Bethlehem. But we also know this uh, to be true through the magisterium and through magisterial teaching. And then finally, uh, through devotion, right? Our lady's title, the Immaculate Conception, happened at Lourdes. So we know that that confirmed what was already given to us by God through tradition, through scripture, and through the magisterial uh, definition. But one of the closest things to my own heart as a Franciscan, before all of that happens, especially the, the definition uh, defined by the church, the friars in the New World, coming primarily from Spain, and evangelizing the New World here in Mexico and southern United States, already believed this to be true. It was, they didn't need the church to define it for them. And so if you go to some of the churches in New Mexico, especially the old uh, uh, retablos that you look at, and you look at the friars, a lot of them are wearing a blue habit. And part of their new evangelization was teaching that Mary is not only the mother of God, but she is the immaculate one. She's the immaculate conception, conceived without sin. So this was happening in the 1500s, the 1600s, well, beyond, well before the church finally puts her stamp uh, of approval on it. So 
Um, we can talk about those things, or we, I think, intuitively get those things. I want to share with you a quote that, that really moved me as I was pre preparing uh, the homily. I found a quote from Teresa, the little flower, about why this is important for us as Catholics and what this is all about. I've never heard this in her writing before. She says this, What God did with Mary is what a good doctor would do during an epidemic. So the epidemic, in our case, is original sin. He goes from house to house, curing those who have contracted the disease. But if there is someone who is especially close to his heart, like his wife or his mother, he would try, if he can, to prevent them from even catching the infection." End quote. And I think that's a very succinct, very rational, very beautiful, simple way of explaining the Immaculate Conception. God, if he's going to come in human flesh, is preserving his means of coming to us from the stain of sin with the hope that he's going to eradicate sin eventually through the mystery of the cross. Okay? So we have to kind of think in those kinds of terms, giving us analogy. But how did it happen? So uh, for our theologians in the room, and I know there are some, I'm going to use a little bit of uh, theological language, so bear with me. So theologically speaking, the Holy Spirit infused in Mary at her conception the gifts of faith, hope, and charity. And those virtues energized the Virgin Mary's life, her anthropology, her body, soul, and spirit, and gave her strength and the ability to do the will of God in her life, all of her life, and the vigor that upheld her as a disciple, the most premier disciple of Christ. She suffers the most more than any other disciple. And at the moment of her conception, and she was conceived by natural means, her parents are Joachim and Anne, and conceived by normal human uh, sexuality, but at that moment, God, in her mother's womb, gave her that prevenient grace, and gave her her personal vocation of holiness as the unstained vessel that would eventually bring forth the Son of God, Jesus. Now, that's the theological definition of the Immaculate Conception. So notice the Holy Spirit was infused in her and empowered her human virtues, her human faculties to live this out. And because of those graces that she received, I think that can impact us. That has something to do for us or transform us. So in the last few moments I have in this reflection, I want to take three aspects of her life to inspire us, to give us hope, to give us uh, encouragement. Because we heard from Vatican II, right, that all of us are called to be holy, not just priests, not just religious, but every baptized member of the church is called to walk in holiness. So Mary is not untouchable. She's not unreachable to us, but she gives us hope that God too will do, this, do the same thing within us. So three things I think we can learn from Mary and apply to our spiritual lives. Number one, her holiness. Number two, her grace. And number two, or I'm sorry, number three, her union with God. So I'm going to briefly talk about those three aspects in her and apply it to us. So holiness is all about charity, right? It's this ability to suffer with others, for others, etc. She has a sorrowful heart. She knows the pain of what it means to have empathy for others. And again, this experience of the Holy Spirit gave her the four cardinal virtues, prudence, justice, fortitude, temperance, etc., all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and they increased in her every time she freely chose 
to love, and she consciously cooperates with the will of God and her ability to be compassionate according to that design. And you and I have those same virtues implanted in us. And every time that we try to do the good or choose the good or act on the good, that's the Holy Spirit moving in us, building up virtue. Okay, we have to work that virtue muscle, right? We can't just have it say, you know, there are certain saints that receive this grace, but they're very few and far between. Uh, but God doesn't wave the magic wand over us and say, oh, you're automatically holy, right? We've got to put in the time. There's, you know, when you work out in the gym, no pain, no gain. Okay, we've got to be virtuous. And the more virtuous we are, the easier holiness becomes. But it starts with saying yes at our baptism. Okay, that's holiness. Number two, grace. When the angel shows up today, he announces her as that title. Hail, woman, you're full of grace. You're the most equipped human being uh, in the universe to receive this gift of God. But it wasn't something magical. Again, she has a habitual uh, ability to participate in her soul with her faculties to consistently say yes to God. And that's what grace does for us. When we go to confession and we receive absolution or we receive the Eucharist or we receive the anointing of the sick or we receive the sacraments from the church, God is strengthening our will through supernatural grace that builds on our nature to more fervently, to more rapidly, to more efficiently say yes to the plan of God. And what is the plan of God? to bring his family home to eternal life back to the Garden of Eden. But here's the kicker. Our wills often sink or uh, uh, get dissolute with the sin and the attractions of this world, and we become swamped and uh, uh, crippled around the goods that God wants us to choose. So he gives us grace that flows through the church, that is tangible and uh, fills the soul with a habit to say yes. And Mary did that perfectly, without stain, right? In a human nature, in human form. So it's possible. That's the good news. Finally, her union with God. To me, this is the one of the most fascinating parts of uh, Mary's uh, life. The whole goal of the spiritual life. We as friars, you know, we commit ourselves to being consecrated, take vows, want to live the gospel, want to do the will of God, etc., etc., etc. But the more you do that, the sooner you find out how hard it is, how challenging it is, and what an uphill battle it is. But God is good, right? And over time, he allows union to happen. But Mary has this heart-to-heart -heart attentiveness, right? a docility, a resignation of the will, um, a subtleness, a humility to cooperate uh, with God. Her yes, right? Uh, after all these promises are given to her, your son's going to do this, he's going to be great, he's going to be awesome, yada, yada, yada. And she's worried about, well, how is this going to work, right? And the angel reaffirms her goodness and says, Mary, with God, all things are possible. You don't have to understand all the details. And what is her response? Be it done unto me according to your will. That resignation, that flexibility, that docility. And that's what union is, right? She senses God's goodness and that he's going to work things out. But we're not like that, right? We want God to give us the blueprint. We want God to give us the 10 steps uh, to provide holiness. And we want to rationally know. But that's not how faith works, right? 
Knowing comes through faith. We have to respond, then we get to see. And Mary has that union, that total radical dependence on God's goodness. And that's why she's privileged among all men and women. So those three things, holiness, grace, and her union, I think we can apply to our own spiritual lives. So how do we do that? Number one, holiness. Every person in this sanctuary knows somebody that we can be more charitable to. Right? We can pray for somebody. We can be a little bit more authentic or a little bit more compassionate in our relationship starting this Advent. Grace. All of us have grace. Maybe you don't feel, don't feel like it, uh, but all of us have grace. Okay? Uh, we, we open up the channels of grace when we study the word, and when we go to confession, etc. Uh, but we have to ponder and work with that grace and ask God for the strength to do his will. So we can do that a little bit more intentionally. Finally, union. Uh, we could pray for deeper sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. We could stay alert and fast and pray uh, and ask God for deeper graces this Advent uh, to, to strip us of any idol or anything that's keeping us from depending on Him and asking Mary to teach us the ways of the spiritual life. So those are just some things that I came up with. I'm sure you can come up with your own. But I think we need Mary's help. We need her prayers. We need her intercession. But she also models for us in her immaculate conception what it means to be holy, what it means to be grace-filled, and what it means to be unified to the Blessed Trinity. So this Advent, may we be a little bit um, more committed, a little bit more excited, a little bit more joyful, especially as we move into the coming of our Messiah, Jesus our Lord. Amen.